blessed. How are all yins today? Groovy. Groovy. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest. My name is Mike, and I get to bring the sermon to you today. And it is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. And I don't even know how to stall long enough for you to open your Bible or your Bible app because the verse is so short. We're up to the number eight commandment. Number eight commandment. If you guys have been obeying one through seven as you've been hearing them, your life must be in pretty good shape now. Um, But we got some new ones for you. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Have you ever been stolen from? I think most people have, but very often not much is stolen. If you've ever been, someone stole your car or your your wallet or something valuable to you, it's a strange feeling. It's very personal, isn't it? I don't know why it is, but it really is. If I get stolen from, in my imagination, I'm like Jesus. Right? Someone steals from me, I'm like, oh, he took my shirt. He can also take my cloak. I'm a Christian and I don't mind. But when they really steal from me, I I just feel violated. I want to find them. I I want justice. I want them strung up from the nearest tree. I don't know why. That's just stealing from people is very personal. So God says, don't do it. I imagine, how would it feel? to live in a world where no one stole anything ever. No one wanted to, and no one did. Could you imagine such a world? Think about it. (laughs) No more lost keys, because you won't need any keys. Right? (laughs) No locks. You don't have to worry whether you locked the door before you, you don't have to worry where you left your purse. You don't have, you probably would have zero wars, because something tells me Although there could be other factors like pride and revenge, but probably the number one war creator is a desire to get your stuff. Definitely would have lower insurance. People justify theft in certain ways. Um, People, when they steal, they'll sometimes say, hey, it's okay, it's a family member. They have more than me, and kids steal from parents, parents steal from kids. Uh, it happens. It shouldn't happen. You should never steal within a family, but it does. Other people like to steal from big places. They want to go into Walmart and say, well, the Walton family has enough. They're not going to miss this. Or they just get something off the shelf and they take it to the return and say, I bought this. It didn't work. And then they get the cash. God says all those are wrong. Pilfering from work is wrong. Stealing in any way you want is wrong. Thou shalt not steal. Don't do it. If you're a Christian, don't steal. Now, I could end the sermon there because I think I preached it. But I think this gives me an opportunity with such a simple idea to take on the wider philosophical implications of the ninth commandment. I mean, some texts are very complex and you've got to break everything down and put it all back together and figure out where you are. I think everyone who's listening to my voice knows what God means when he says, don't steal. You may lie to yourself about it sometimes, but you know in your heart when you're stealing. But I think there uh, are some implications that are very practical value in our day-to-day life that, that depend on this commandment. Some you may or may not have thought about. So um, 
with this command, now we're moving into philosophical thought here, God established private property. It's not when he established it. He had already established it, but he's making it clear that private property is a thing. Stealing was always wrong from the beginning, but here when he sets out the law for his nation Israel, he's saying thou shalt not steal. That means private property is a thing. Now you might think, who cares? I know that. You may know that, but do you realize the greatest evil that's ever been done on the earth by humans to humans over the last century or so has been done because people have challenged the philosophical understanding of private property. Did you know that? Marxism and socialism depend on the idea that there is no such thing as private property, that that was invented by wealthier people as a way to oppress other people. To say, I'm, in other words, Marxism and socialism depend on the idea that the collective owns everything. Everybody owns everything, and everything should be shared equally. Well, thou shalt not steal establishes private property as a right and guts all socialism and all Marxism. Now, you might think, is this going to be a political sermon? No, it isn't. Um, I'm not, I don't... I, Politics comes, politics goes. It all has a little good and all has a lot of corruption. But we cannot ignore where the Bible speaks directly to these things. You you may not, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not steal. You cannot take the private property of others without justification. As long as everyone gets the same amount and there are no poor among us. It doesn't say that. Marxism and socialism are sinful at their core. It's funny because I hear Christians say it's a good idea. I've heard Christians say if Jesus were here, he'd be a communist. To which, uh, I guess to give them the benefit of the doubt, what they mean is um, he wants everyone to have something. But communism is atheistic in in its invention. And socialism is no better. They both depend on atheism. Why? Because they depend on a wrong assumption about mankind. Both of them depend on the idea that mankind is basically good, will not be greedy, will not better himself at the expense of his neighbor. And none of that's true. The Bible says man is wicked, and if you want proof, look at any government, especially one that has less checks and balances. So you will see that communism, seeking to divide everything equally among the workers, meant throwing an awful lot of people in jail, killing a lot of people, forcing a lot of people into labor, and the people who controlled everything are the rich ones. I've been to China with some other um, folks in the church, and I'll tell you what we saw was just piece of junk Chinese cars. There's no such thing as a Chinese car that's not a junk. They make, they make Yugos look good. They're all junk. However, every once in a while you'd see a Cadillac, one Cadillac or one Mercedes, which, how did that get into this country? Because there's two, three, four hundred percent tariffs on those. The answer our host would give us, oh, those are party members. Because that's the way humans are in an atheistic culture where everything's divided equally. Those with the power are going to take more because it's what they do. Socialism is no better. They are both wicked at their core, depending on the goodness of man, and also demanding an end to private property which God has established. Now, as a good American, I don't like taxes. And someone could say, well, do we have to pay taxes then? Well, taxes are not theft as a concept. That does not mean it's often not theft in application. 
But all I can say to that is we have to pay our taxes and unjust kings and politicians do abuse authority. I'd even say if I was in a communist country, I'd pay my, I guess I wouldn't have a choice, but I'd pay my taxes there because God says we should obey whether it's righteous or not. You hope the taxes are uh, sensible, but they are really a, a side note. Every government taxes. Uh, you have to pay them whether you're in a socialist government or not if you're a Christian. But I want to explore the principles of inequity and equality a little bit. You didn't know you were getting this today, did you? This is like, this isn't like other sermons. I know. And I'm, gonna, I'm enjoying it already. Um, the idea of, of an equitable society that everyone gets the same amount because everyone is equal in value. Doesn't that sound nice? Right? Um, it leads us to say, well, what about the poor? Uh, if the government doesn't have the right to steal from the rich and give to the poor, who will help them? And if some people have more than others, how is that fair? Let me throw some principles out. So this, if you're a note taker, principles of inequity and equality, if you say, well, I don't know what those words mean. Um, I don't use them that way. Um, uh, principles of who gets stuff and who gets the most? <laughs> it takes longer to say, but you can say that. One, all things come from God who distributes as he wishes. What do you have that you did not receive? God owns everything. He owns the earth and everything in it. We've all received goodness from God. No one listening to my voice has been starved to death by God. I know that because you're not dead. <laughs> You, you have received goodness from God your whole life. Anything you think you have, everything in your name, everything with a title with your name on it, everything that your friends know belongs to you, it doesn't really belong to you. You're using it. It belongs to God. Everything comes from him. Now, here's a hard part that people may not like. God makes some people rich for a time and God makes some people poor for a time. I am not saying that there aren't other forces. I'm not saying people don't oppress people to make them poor. I'm not saying some people don't work hard and make themselves rich through innovation and hard work. I'm saying that in every single situation, God allows those activities and he allows them to produce what they produce. He could stop any rich man from being rich and he could, he could stop any poor man from being poor. He does as he pleases and as he is a superintendent of the universe, ultimately... He decides who's rich and who ain't. 1 Samuel 2, this is articulated, the Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He will bring low and he will exalt. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of power. He does as he pleases. Sometimes God raises up evil people into wealth. Matter of fact, a lot of times. Pharaoh was rich, Moses was poor. God says in the word that he rose up Pharaoh for his glory. Jesus had next to nothing. His parents offered the minimal sacrifice when he was born. Two birds, because they could not afford a proper sacrifice of a lamb. They were po. They were po folk. Jesus was po folk. There are some... There's some people, I think Creflo Dollar, one of them told how Jesus was rich. He had this huge ministry and all kinds of money and I don't know where he's holding the, hiding his gold rings in his chariots. He was po' folk. 
And the shirt he had, they took off him when he died. And yet Herod, the faithless king, was wealthy. And worms ate him. You see, in the kingdom to come, the Bible says something that may shock you about the way God distributes what he distributes. There's inequity in the distribution of goods in the kingdom come. You think, when we get to heaven, we'll all get the same. No, we won't. We won't. That's why there can't be any jealousy or coveting in heaven, because you'll go nuts for eternity. There's going to be folks with more stuff than you. Jesus says, to this one, you were faithful with this, I'll give you three cities. Another one, he says, you were even more faithful, I'll give you ten cities. Guy with three cities goes, hey, what about me? I don't think that is going to work. God's going to say, you got what you got, be happy with it. There's never an indication that Marxism works in heaven. Even when people are good, God does not give equally. There will be some people who have more than others. Jesus is not a socialist. Second principle of inequity and equality I want to give you is God commands generosity towards the poor. On this earth, God says, give to the poor. Jesus says it all the time. He tells people of all varying incomes, why don't you sell what you got and give it away to the poor? It's a very radical thing to say to people. It's not good investment advice. You never hear that one guy. What's that guy's name? Ramsey. You'll never hear Ramsey give Jesus advice on, on invest, you'll never hear him say, sell all you have and give to the poor and follow Jesus. Um, and nothing against Ramsey, because as a rule, if everyone did that, we'd all be poor and <laughs> need people to continually sell. But as a principle, Jesus holds, he doesn't hold back. God commands generosity. The poor are not to steal, but those who have should share. John the Baptist said, let the one who has two give to the one who has zero. You got two tunics? Well, that guy's got zero tunics. Doesn't it make more sense that you both have a tunic? Give him one. Right? The, the law of Israel told farmers to leave the corners of their fields unpicked, unharvested. Leave those shreds. You know, you got, all, you got most. You don't got to go back and pick up all the stalks and whatnot. Let the poor come. And they can pick them up for themselves. Proverbs has it all over the place. If you're a Proverbs reader, let me read you one verse. 1431. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. So the Marxist who says the rich oppress the poor, well, not godly rich, but he who is generous to the needy honors God. So I guess part of the question I'd ask you is, do you have enough? You're an American, so the answer is yes. It's very hard not to have enough as an American. You can get into debt, you can get it in over your head, you can get into some tight binds once in a while, but unless someone is withholding food, it's hard to starve in this great country. Politicians don't say that because apparently they want you to think someone's starving, so you'll vote for them. I don't know why those two things connect in their brains. But you live in this country. How many starving people are you meeting? So if you have enough, with whom are you sharing? It's harder to share with the very, you, you can, for, for hunger, for the very basic needs in America. But there are needs. You can go a level up. Maybe they're eating, but they need a car. <laughs> have you thought of sharing in that area? Have you thought of sharing in rent? Or maybe you could share with people who are starving in another country, like Haiti. Do you have enough? Do you share? 
I'd say there's a principle of equity that says God says to those he gives things, I'm holding you accountable to be generous to those who do not have enough. Third, generosity is not to be coerced. The Bible does not give the coercion of generosity. God does not command people to force charity out of their neighbors. God does not, even when, when he said to the farmers, leave the corners of your field. If you are a greedy farmer and you say, well, I'm getting every stock for myself, there's no law that says the government of Israel has to come and make you give up what you weren't generous with. There, there is no such thing as forcing people to give to the poor. And there's no law in the New Testament. Jesus says, give to the poor. He never makes you. Very important point there. Because if thou shalt not steal implies that your property is your property and someone else's property is their property. God is ordaining that you steward it yourself and no one force you to do something else. This can be hard to teach kids, by the way, as a side note. Because kids, you got to teach them to share, right? And it's hard to teach kids to share. Um, And so when you give them something, sometimes they don't want to share. And sometimes you can push it too far, believe it or not. You can give your kid a special present that they really like. And then their friend comes over. And all that they hear their parents do is force that toy out of the kid's hand into the other kid's hand. Who might break it. You say, well, isn't that the right thing to do? Maybe, but not necessarily. It's, if you gave it to him, it's his. You might want to teach him the value of sharing, and let's see if he'll do it on his own. And once in a while, they will. Once in a while, they will. A lot of times, they won't. And a lot of times, yep, you're going to have to make a command decision as an adult. You're sharing whether you like it or not. But be wise how you do it. Respect their private property. Third, fourth principle is God expects human beings to work to gain goods and wealth. Um, there's certain work all of us like, right? You, there's something you like to do, and hopefully someone will pay you to do it. But a lot of work none of us like. <laughs> and that's just, or a lot of parts of even a good job you may not like. But there's no, the Bible is clear. If you're human and you walk the earth and you can work, you need to work. You need to work. There's, there is a, a, this, this socialistic feeling that invades our country, often invades our church. And when you come to church, it's okay if, if, you, if you think wrong. But as you learn the Bible, you've got to correct your thinking. Christians should not be looking at ways to beat the system, to get on disability when they really, they may be hurt in one area, but they could do 18 other jobs. They should, well, I'm on disability. I'm going to milk this thing. That's not, that's, that's not honoring to God. It should work. The Bible says in Proverbs, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways. Be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, you slug? I love the way the Bible talks. <laughs> look at the ant. Now look at you. See the difference? Work, slug. Work, slug. This is God talking to you. <laughs> when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of the rest, hitting this snooze button for the 85th time. 
Poverty will come on you like a thief. So you can be poor by oppression. You can be poor because you're born in a place where there's nothing. And the government is oppressive. Normally it takes an oppressive government to be poor uh, or to have no opportunity. But for the most part, if you're an American, you've got chances. You've got opportunity. And you need to take them. You need to, and notice the, what the Proverbs text says is be self-motivated. The ant doesn't need a chief to say, get up and go. I don't know what ants do, but they don't need a chief. They got a queen in there, but apparently she hangs out in the bedroom. I don't know how that works. <laughs> got to watch the National Geographic thing to get that. So with those principles in mind, let, let me show you some examples from Scripture of, of how those are applied or taught. Um, one, my first example I'm going to give a title to is Stealing Should Be Exchanged for Working in Generosity. If you're used to stealing to get by, the Bible says stop stealing because now you're a Christian. By the way, good thing to remember, all of us are sinners. When we speak of thieves, we're talking about ourselves. If some of you think when we think of thieves, we're thinking about those people in jail, you're wrong because every one of you has stolen something. Every one of you has stolen something. If there's an exception, God bless you. Maybe you had no arms. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you got this far in life without stealing anything. Not even the smallest thing. From your brother, from your neighbor, from a store, from your job. So we're talking about ourselves being thieves. When we come to Christ, we come as sinners. But then he says, since I've saved you, since I've forgiven you, and I've given you my spirit, I want you to think differently. Stop thinking like a thief. I want you to think like this. Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal. See, thieves are allowed. We welcome thieves. We need to get a sign that says, thieves, please come to harvest. Bring them in. We want thieves. We want the worst of people because all people are valuable to God. And when the thieves do come to harvest, we're going to have that bucket kind of go real fast by them (laughs) till they get saved (laughs) says let the thief no longer steal in the church he's talking about but rather let him labor doing what honest work i'm gonna go sell some some drugs sell some crack make some quick dough no 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 do any honest work is good work sweeping cleaning toilets being an engineer anything in between So that what? He may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see what God expects of us as individuals? If we can work and provide for ourselves. That's what that's saying. Because I can't share with those in need if I'm hungry. And if I'm married, my family needs to eat. Right? If I can't provide for me and my own, I have nothing to share. So my responsibility first is to seek to provide for myself. If there's some physical reason I cannot do it, if there's a government reason I cannot do it, I'm being oppressed, then okay, I become the charity case, and that's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed of for me being in that situation. But if I'm not, I should think, how can I pay for myself? And let me say to all the men here, especially the young men, um, uh, in the church, the Bible, God, God puts a lot on you, men. You need to, and, and, and maybe he puts it on the men because the women don't need it. It's hard to find irresponsible women. They're there, but it's normally one to ten versus men, and I have no idea why. Maybe because since we've devalued marriage, um, 
you guys don't realize who devalue marriage. Those feminists who love that idea thought it would be a good idea. You, you, you untether a man from responsibility, that's a balloon that can float anywhere. So if you're a man, I want you to know, I want you to be able to answer this question in your heart right now, no matter where you are. Am I providing for myself? And then if the answer's no, you gotta say to yourself, what do I gotta do to get there? I'm not saying, am I, is my girlfriend, is my wife, is my mom, my dad, am I providing for myself? And if you can't say yes, you need to say, God, get me to yes. Second, who else am I providing for? Who else am I providing for? Because if you're in a, unless you live all by yourself and no one needs you, I guess that's good. But most people are connected to a family structure of some kind. Even if you're living at home with your parents. I'm providing for myself. I'm paying into this household. Definitely if you're a husband. Then third, what can I give away to someone who's having trouble keeping their car on the road? Or keeping their electric bill on? Right? Or obviously the mission of the church. Missions and the gospel. This is what God wants. Pay your own way and help others. Ladies, you too, but men first. Second way we, we see this in the Bible is I want to show you an example in the Bible where collectivism or Marxism, again, any form of collectivism. Collectivism means all the people own everything together and it's equally distributed. Is nixed in favor of radical generosity. There are some people who think they see Marxism and socialism and communism in the book of Acts, the very first time the church is born. And uh, here's the passage that they normally look to. Let me read it to you. Acts 2, 44 and 45. It says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. Common. Sounds like communism. So it must be communists. (laughs) And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Boy, does that sound like socialism or communism. And then Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. To the 21st century mind, people say, well, that's, there you go, there's socialism. Jesus is a socialist. Um, first, that would never occur to them in the first century. Second, you're not seeing the Bible clearly. What you see there is a group of people believing the Lord's going to return living by family values in the face of poverty. They had real poverty in the first century. You really would, you really did have starving people and, and, and the church is acting like a family acts there. They're acting, they're living in one place. The persecution is yet to start to scatter them. Um, and, and so they're sharing their goods to meet everyone's need. In a similar way, in the church today, if <laughs> there should be no one going hungry at Harvest Community Church, period. No one should be going hungry at Harvest Community Church. If someone has literally gotten into that position by things they cannot control, someone should give them food. No one should be homeless as a member of the church. If things do get dark in America, financially, governmentally, if, if the bottom falls out and everything gets weird, we will need to band together and provide for one another. That's what family does. But to read into that, that private property is eliminated, is to miss the fact that people are choosing to sell what they sold and distribute it. During that exact same time, the Bible says a man named Barnabas sold a field. Now, 
Barnabas, it must have been a heck of a good bit of money to make the Bible. But he made the Bible. I said, you know, Luke said, I'm putting that in the Bible. Barnabas said, oh, no, it's not a big deal. Oh, no. Good job, Barnabas. I'm writing in the Bible. Barnabas sold a field, and he gave the money to the poor in their midst. Notice these are poor Christians in their midst. They're not unbelievers. They're sharing with. And it was a big deal. So a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira were checking us out, and they go, Barney gets old. Everyone thinks he's just so holy. So he sold a field. Tell Sapphira saying this to Ananias. Ananias, we have a field. Why don't we sell our extra field? I don't know, honey. I like that field. It's been a... Look at Barney. Everyone thinks Barney's... You're great, aren't you, Ananias? Or did I marry the wrong man, just like my mother said? (laughs) Ananias is like, okay, we'll sell it. So Ananias and Sapphira sell their their property. They get the cash, and they're going to give it all to the church. And then, whew, it's so hard when the cash is in your hand. All you people say, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give you a million dollars, Pastor Mike. No, you're not, because once the money's in your hand, I don't know. So they thought, no, I'm not going to, let's not give that all. Well, if we don't give it all, we won't look as good as Barnabas. I know. Let's just keep half and give the rest to the church and tell them that that's all we got. That's what they said. So they brought the money to Peter. Look what happened. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back that part for yourself of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, he says, did it not remain your own? See, they weren't living like communists. He says, it was your land. And after you sold it, was the money not at your disposal? You could have kept what you wanted. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And the Holy Spirit whacked him on the spot. Down goes Ananias. Bam! And then his wife came in afterwards, told the same lie. Bam! She goes. People wouldn't lie so much to their pastor if that happened around here. (laughs) Wouldn't have to worry about it at all. But what was the point there? He didn't die because he held back the money. He died because he lied to the Holy Spirit of God for his pride. In fact, Peter reinforced private property. You are part of our community. The land belonged to you. When you sold it, the money belonged to you. Um... So a third example from the scripture, before God, and I'm going to summarize this one too, we are all beggars and should be content and generous. I think I'm going to talk more about contentment at the beginning of the year next year, but for now, we should be content. You say, I should be content with what I have? Yes, my neighbor has more. I don't care. I should be content with what I have. I have bills. I know it stinks. Bible says if you have food and clothing, you should be, with these you should be content. That's written at a time when a culture is really poor. They didn't even include a roof. <laughs> if you've got food and clothes, you have enough. And you should be generous. Some of the most generous people I know are missionaries. They normally live on a shoestring, try to stretch everything out to make it last, but if you ever ask them for help for something, they're there. And you say, well, they shouldn't have to give. Well, maybe they should. You should be content and be generous no matter who you are. 
an example from the scripture is David called all the people of Israel to gather the materials to make the temple, right? God said, you're not making the temple, David, because you're a man of war. I'm going to let your son Solomon make a great temple, but you may gather the materials, the gold, the cedar, and all that stuff. So David went to his people, and he said, look, God said I can't build it, but he said we could have the privilege of gathering the materials. Well, this touched the people by the Holy Spirit, and they just started giving out of their wealth till they had way more than they needed. David was so happy, so pleased with his countrymen, so happy to be serving God that he had a big party and consecrated it all. And at that party, he made a long speech. Let me give you a part of that speech. He says to God, who am I? What is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? Who are we, God, to give you anything? For all things come from you. And of your own, we have given you. <laughs> we got this from you. We're just giving you our stuff. It's like when your kids are little and it's, 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 it's Mother's Day or Mom's birthday. If you're a dad, you take them out and say, we're going to buy something for Mom. Here's 10 bucks. Okay, inflation since my kids are little. Here's 30 bucks. <laughs> now go buy something for your mother. And they say, look, I bought it. You don't go back to mom and go, that was my money. He didn't buy that, little thief. <laughs> no, you gave it to him, but it's kind of funny. You give them the money so they can buy presents for you. Well, that's what it is with God. When we give it church, I often when I pray that prayer, this comes to my mind. I say, God, we're just putting right back into your hand what we took out of your hand. And that's what he's saying. For, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as were our fathers. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. We don't last. There's no abiding. Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from your hand. It's all yours. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in, um, in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here also. They're freely and joyously offering to you. That's what makes him happy. He's saying, look, you test the heart to see if we love stuff more than you. And generosity is uncoerced. Generosity is the test. There's not even a test day. It's easier if there's a test day. God wants to test you Friday, 3 o'clock. Okay, you're going to be there. It's not like that. When's the test start? It's already started. How do I know if I passed? (laughs) You're just going to have to have a generous heart. (laughs) Oh Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in our hearts, in the hearts of your people, and direct their hearts toward you. David is, is, is humble and joyous with thanksgiving and generosity because he's filled up with the treasure of God. The joy in giving is, is a rare thing in our hearts, <laughs> but it happens. During the next initiative, for those of you who know what that is, I think I was very impressed, like David, at how many people said, yes, we're going to give to the mission that God has. In a few centuries, though, God accused that same nation of stealing from him. He said, how did we steal from you? And he said, you wouldn't even give me the minimal tithe. You see, human beings in generosity, this is where the rubber meets the road. 
we all have within us the tendency to say, what happens if I don't have enough for me? When it's time to be generous, there's always this tendency to say, what if I share? There was one time when, when uh, we didn't have a lot of money. I lived in California. It was very expensive. My job wasn't bringing in enough to make us wealthy. We were renting. I had two kids, and everything was on a budget, and we had a whole bunch of Mexicans um, living in the house next door. By a whole bunch, I mean like two or three families, right? And their kids, so many of the little kids, would show up at lunchtime every day to play, right? A handful of them. Now, they were not showing up at lunchtime because that's playtime. It was obvious they were showing up to play with my little three-year-old girl, one-year-old boy, because they might get to share lunch with us. And my wife at one point said, we're not going to worry about the budget. Because the first thought was, we got a budget. We're not making much money here. It's California. Then she said, it doesn't matter. No matter how many come here, they're having lunch. And she just made that decision. But it, it's natural to say, well, what if we don't have enough for us? If I give you this now, what will I be in the future? That's the fear that makes us stingy. And it's not always need. I want this extra thing. And if I give to you, God has taken care of us up till now, hasn't he? Anyone hungry right now? If you're hungry right now, every single campus of Harvest has got all kinds of calories right in the back of the room. Get up and go get them. I mean, (laughs) if that's not enough, we'll work on it. If he took care of us up to now, is he going to stop tomorrow? He's not going to stop. Look at the promises from the Word of God. Jesus says in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he means Satan. And that, that's, that's the best reason why you and I should never steal. Satan is the stealer. He's the, wait a minute, this is stealer country. Satan is the thief. You have two meanings, couldn't it? Satan is the, Satan's no stealer. I mean, fan, you know that. He's a Browns fan. I mean, <laughs> look at the Browns. The, Satan's the thief. God is the giver. Now what are we going to be? He says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus saying, look, I didn't come to this earth. The devil wants to steal those made in the image of God. Steal their souls. Harm them. Watch them sin. Watch them go to hell being punished by a righteous God. He wants to take away life. But Jesus said, but I came. So I could just generously pour it out so much that they have more than they need, abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And we're back to the gospel that you harvesters are very familiar with. But if you're a guest, we want to make sure you know how much we enjoy and celebrate how we're saved. We are not saved by being good. We are saved because Jesus Christ dies for sinners. And there's not a single Christian in this room who when he or she dies stands before God and says, I'm getting in because I was a good boy or a good girl. Not a single one of them has any other hope except Christ dies for sinners. And they rejoice in that. And if you're a guest, we hope you join in that. And if it's a new idea, it's time. Jesus Christ 
uh, died to pay the price for your sin. Just admit you're a sinner and follow him. Jesus says in, or the Bible says in Romans, God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us. That's to get us saved. Look what else it says. How will he not also graciously with him graciously give us all things? He's saying that the cross and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life is just the beginning. You got treasure coming that you have never seen. Everything on this earth is just paper slippers, right? You ever go to a hotel that gives you paper slippers? If you go to Asia, they're big on paper slippers. I guess they never want their feet to touch the floor. And, and they'll give you paper slippers on the airplanes, paper slippers in all the hotels. You put on paper slippers if you want to. I just let my feet go naked. You know, I was one of these American silly people who just thought feet on the floor is fine. But apparently, if you have paper... But nobody, except people from Armstrong County, I should say, would be so thrifty as to dry these suckers out and take them home. But I know some of you farmers are like, why waste a good slipper? (laughs) Which I get. I get that. I get that. You got to look out for lean times as well as good times. But they're just paper. I'll use them as long as they're good, and then it doesn't really matter. That's everything on earth. Everything on earth is paper slippers. You don't get to keep it. But God has a treasure that you cannot lose. In my father's house are many rooms. King James translated this mansion. English has changed a lot. It's never meant a big house. Sorry to disappoint you. I personally am happy I don't live by myself in a mansion. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you'll be also. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, think about this. Jesus, the richest one there ever was, God, becomes a man and becomes the poorest man there ever was. He becomes the poorest you can be. He had enough and no more, and then he even poured out the one thing he did have, his life. The richest one who ever could be became the poorest one who ever could be so that he could die for us to make us as rich as him in heaven. He says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. This does not mean you should not use money wisely. You should use money wisely and you should use it for the kingdom. There's texts on that. He's talking about making this place your home with your riches. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. There is no safe money. Some of you people think, if I had money, I'd have no worries. I know people with money. You know what they worry about? Money. They do. I always wanted to own a house. When I was in my 40s, I bought a house. Houses are a pain in the neck to own. It's nice, but they're always breaking. And then you can't call anybody. You've got to fix it. If, you, if I were to give everyone here who thought, I'm just making it, a million bucks, you would have to manage that, or you'll lose it. Well, guess what? There's no safe place to put it. You can buy gold. <laughs> Every radio show will tell you, buy gold! It's what, 2,000 an ounce or something? 20 years ago, it was 200 an ounce. Who says it won't go back to there? You could lose it all buying gold. <laughs> you know, cash? Dollar could tank. Real estate, 
could lose it to government, to insecure. There's nothing safe on this earth. So Jesus says, so why put your treasure there? But he says, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Where we don't have moths. And if we do, they don't eat your stuff. They're cool moths that light up and stuff, you know. (laughs) We don't have rust. We don't have thieves. No more thieves, because we got everyone saved. And, And we don't steal in our new bodies. You see, he says, look, the love of earthly treasure is going to tempt you to steal. Right? Rich people steal and poor people steal. And if you've ever worked in a retail place, you know that the old people steal. Your granny will steal. Don't think it's not true. I've seen slobbery looking people. I, saw, I see people who got it together, who got these nice clothes of the nines. I see them steal. Why? Because you love treasure on earth. Some think, well, the, the remedy is don't love treasure. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say that. Did you see the text I just read to you? He doesn't say don't love treasure. He's saying don't love the wrong treasure. He don't want you to be someone who's constantly in self-denial, flagellating yourself with these things on your back, living in poverty. He says this, lay up treasures in heaven. Love treasure. Make sure it's the right treasure. Treasure you cannot lose. Here's the trick, and it's a good trick. God is our treasure. He's the pearl of great price. He's the one. And if you've ever found Jesus for real, because a lot of people go to church and don't find Jesus for real, I don't know why. It's a spirit thing. I can't, I just figure everyone's saved, but sometimes I'm proven wrong. But if you find Jesus for real, you won't trade. Well, you got to give up this. I'll give it up. Got to give up those people. I'll give them up. Got to give up everything you own. I'll give them up. You have to die for this treasure. Fine. And if you found Jesus, you know what I'm talking about, amen? Rich Mullins wrote in one of his songs, the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. My friend, that's a war in your heart to war in my heart. You're not going to escape this war. You'll have your generous moments and your stingy moments. Remember your identity. You have the wealth of everything coming to you. This world is a wet paper slipper. Are you stealing? Are you stealing at work? Come on, supplies, things don't matter. Do you shoplift? Are you stealing from family? Quit now. Return what you've taken and give more. Are you sharing? If yes, share more. Be more generous. Give more to the church? Yep, I'd say that too. But also give more to your neighbors. Give more away to your family. Are you storing up treasures on earth or heaven? Look, if you lose everything on earth because you stored it in heaven, you have no loss. And the opposite is also true. If you try to gain everything on earth and have nothing in heaven, you get nothing. Thou shalt not steal. Your property is yours. Other people's property is theirs. Respect it, right? But be a generous person. Be generous. So you want to steal from me? I'm going to beat you to it. Just take it. 
Let's Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.